So, hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, guess what? Here I am again. Uh, yeah. So, so if we've not met, my name's Merle. I serve as lead pastor here for just a little while longer. Uh, quite certain that the leadership team is getting ready to have a meeting as soon as the service is over with. I'm so glad that you've decided to worship with us today. There are a lot of different churches around that you could have joined us either online or in person, and we just find it an honor that you're here. We want to help you. Our uh, mission as a church is we want to unleash the transforming influence of Jesus. We'd like to see Jesus unleashed in your life. What he does is he transforms people. He's in the process of changing us and he's a God who can give you hope. And so uh, if you're a guest for the very first time here or in the chapel, we've got a communication card that you can fill out and then tear off and give to either a pastor or take to the very back of our worship center after it's over with. If you're with us online, just go to pleasantvalley.info and you can find a communication card there as well. We all know what next week is, right? It's Easter week. And I hope that you're planning to come to our Good Friday service that's going to happen at 6.30. We're going to be celebrating communion that night. It's always one of those great events that we have in the life of the church. We intentionally do a service in such a way that it sets us up to truly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so for your own spiritual journey, I encourage you to come. And uh, that'll happen at 6.30 this Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, 9 and 1045, unlike what we've done for a number of years, the children are going to have their ministry uh, during the service hours as well. And so they're going to have an opportunity to have a great experience. And guess what we're going to be doing in the church that we've never done before and we may never do again? Cotton candy. Not for adults. It'll be for the children. <laughs> You can have it as an adult if you go down and serve, okay? There's my motivation, little, uh, little sales technique there, not bait and switch. It's you go down and you can eat the bait, okay? I want you to do that. So we do have on the back of our bulletin a lot of different opportunities. One of the things that we know is that you are more connected to a church and you are growing in your faith when you use your gifts to serve other people. A number of serving opportunities, if you'd like to join us, you can either go online or do it, or you can check a box, and at the very end of the service, we're going to turn in these cards. So while I've got your attention about the cards, if you'll grab this for just a minute, some of you are already... Uh, so far ahead, you've actually filled out the card. If you do not have a survey, if you'll raise your hand, we've got some ushers, do we not? We have some ushers, if you'll raise your hand. Hi, and uh, they will bring you one. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to take about two minutes and fill out this survey. We like to take the pulse of our church periodically to see how we are doing in terms of our own spiritual growth. We've got three categories and if you'll do this, this is going to help us as we think about the future of the church. Uh, Chase is going to play a little bit of survey-taking music. And then if you will fill it out in the chapel as well. And at the very end of the service, as you're leaving, our ushers will have baskets that you can put those in. So take a moment or two and fill that out.
righty. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chase. Again, you can uh, drop those in a basket at the very end of the service as you're leading, leaving. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. So let's all dial in here for just a minute. I'm going to ask, uh, make a series of statements, and I'm going to see if you know the answer. You game? You game in the chapel? Hope you're online as well. So here we go. Everybody needs it. Humans seek it like moths seek the flame. Neuroscientists argue that it is essential, so essential for our survival that our brains are actually hardwired with it. And they argue that it makes the difference between just living a healthier life and being trapped in despair. Studies show that with it, you have a more satisfying relationship, you're more productive, you're more creative, you're less affected by stress, you're more successful, you're more satisfied, you're more compassionate, you're more willing to help people in need, you're physically healthier, you're more likely to assume leadership, you're more likely to see God as loving, caring, and forgiving. What am I talking about? I am not talking about pork rinds. That was a bad answer, Chad. I am talking about hope. Think about everything that I just said. All of the things that hope actually does. And it is essential for our, our very lives. One definition of hope that we can go with is this. Hope is an expectation that is both desired and possible. It's an expectation that is both desired and possible. Emphasis on expectation, emphasis on desire, and emphasis on possible. Martin Luther King Jr. put it like this. Even in the inevitable moments when all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And in agonizing desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. You hear what Dr. King is saying? He's saying that hope is like bread. And what is, what is more essential, if you will? What, what is more needed for there to actually be life? I mean, if you have the very bare minimum of bread, you're able to live. And he's saying, listen, we need hope like we need bread. You can't live without the feeling that things can get better. You can't live without that. You might be able to go days without food, but you can't go moments without there being hope. That's the reason why in Dante's Inferno, the saying over the door of hell is this, abandon all hope, you who enter here. Without hope, life is unbearable. There is a psychologist whose name was Dr. Shane Lopez. He's passed away now. And he is the foremost researcher of hope. And he says that hope is more than just an emotion. He says hope is an essential life tool. Today we're launching an Easter series sermon um, series called Hope Lives. 
And what I want to do for four weeks, we're taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to talk about this essential life tool. And I want to talk about what does it mean to live with hope. And my, my guess is that there isn't anybody listening to me who doesn't need this. There, there are probably more people than I even imagine on this particular day that are listening in this room, in the chapel, and online that feel like they are at the end of their rope. And they came here with a degree of, I am hoping that there is something that God will say to me that will give me the ability to move into tomorrow, to not be overcome by an addiction, to not be overcome by a failure, to not be overcome by the unknown, but will give me something that will be substantive to allow me to face the next day. We're going to look at today just a couple of verses in Paul's letter to the Romans. Of all the letters that Paul wrote, he talks about hope more in Romans than in any other letter. And we're just going to look at two verses. And let me give you the context for the first one. In the 14th and 15th chapter, what Paul is doing is Paul is addressing a church like ours. And in the Roman church, there were people who struggled with relationships. They were not living as reconciled people. They had racial issues between the Jews and the Gentiles. They had difficulties between those who had and those who had not. And so Paul writes to them and he says, it's really important that you don't just live for yourselves, that you think about living for other people. So he's writing about what does it mean to live with the freedom you have in Christ and what does it mean to live the law of love? And in the context of that, he talks about how hope that can be found in Old Testament scriptures can fuel that kind of lifestyle. Romans 15, 4 says this, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that, for this reason, we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from Scripture. So we're going to talk a little bit about an action plan that comes from this particular truth that Paul says. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul is bringing about kind of a conclusion of what he's been talking about in basically all of Romans thus far before he goes into a kind of personal greeting time. He does a benediction, a prayer of blessing at the very end. And he says in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody listening want to overflow with some hope? We need hope. We want to overflow. So what I'm going to do is I want to talk rather quickly about two ways that you and I can live hopefully. Are you ready? Here we go. First of all, find your source of hope in God. If you want to live hopefully, you have to ask yourself the question, where does hope come from? And there's basically two ways that you can search for hope. You can search for hope on the horizontal plane. You can look for 
hope in experiences and in relationships and in possessions and locations and favorable situations. You can look for hope horizontally, but let me just give you a a tip on the front end. That will never give you an overflowing hope. Or you can look for hope horizontally or vertically. You can search for hope in the God of hope, whose character is hopeful, whose promises are true and faithful. And God is not only the object of hope, he's the source of all hope. So what does that look like? If we're going to find our hope in God, that means that it's going to require some trust. Hope requires trusting in God. Let's just go back to verse 13. Did you notice the phrase that says, as you believe? Now may the the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. What's his point? It's one thing to acknowledge that God is the God of hope with your head. It's one thing to feel it in your gut, but it's quite another thing to say, I'm going to make a choice this day to trust in this God of hope. I have to activate my faith in order for hope to overflow in my life. It can't just be an emotion that I have. It has to be something that I willfully do in my heart to engage, to engage my faith. To believe is to trust and is to have faith in God. And in the Bible, hope is connected with Faith. Hebrews 11.1 puts it like this. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Faith is the reality of the expectation that is desired and possible. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And what is faith? Faith is simply settled confidence in who God is, And what God says, and in what God says, will happen. You you guys know I love love quotes from people that are a whole lot smarter than me. And so one of them is a theologian by the the name of Jürgen Moltmann. And he says this about the connection of faith and hope. And so it's a little bit meaty of a statement, but I want you to, to, to let it sink in. He says, faith binds a man, binds a person to Christ. Hope sets this faith open to the comprehensive future of Christ. Hope is therefore the inseparable companion of faith. Without faith's knowledge of Christ, hope becomes a utopia and remains hanging in the air. But without hope, faith falls to pieces, becomes a faint-hearted and ultimately a dead faith. It is through faith that a person finds the path of true life, but it is only hope that keeps him on that path. If you're going to find your source of hope in God, it's going to require that you do some trusting, but it also means this, hope in God will fill you with all joy and peace. And this would have been an opportunity for you to go, amen. Let me say that again, just to practice. 
Hope in God fills you with all joy and peace. Amen. Amen. Biblical hope is pregnant with God. And when hope gives birth in the human heart, it gives birth to twins, joy and peace. When you trust God and you put your faith in him and hope begins to build in your life, the outcome of that is not just a little bit of joy and a little splash of peace, but Paul says, all joy and peace. All the joy you need in the midst of whatever crisis you're going through. Joy that's not based upon favorable circumstances, but joy that's based upon the faithfulness of God. God, through hope, gives birth to that in your life. And God's hope will give birth to all the peace you need to stand firm in the hurricane winds of a chaotic life and the unknown will give you a peace that passes every amount of human ability to even understand. Hope requires trusting in God. Hope fills you with all joy and peace. And hope overflows in our lives through the Holy Spirit. I'm just walking us through this text, okay? Hope overflows in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the verse again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that, so this will happen, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me make sure that we, we, we have a good understanding of this. Hope that finds its source in God is not the product of unaided human will. Hope that finds its source in God isn't about you getting up on Monday and go, I'm just going to work up some hope today. And maybe I'll have enough hope to make it through the next hour. If you Hope in Jesus Christ today and not in your money and not in your health and not in your friends and not in your happy circumstances and heaven forbid, not in the government. That hope that you have is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't create hope. The Holy Spirit works hope in you. And what that ought to do is that ought to, for some of you, take this burden off of your shoulder that you're thinking, I've got to work up hope. Instead, you need to acknowledge if you know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you and He works up hope in your life. Here's the deal. By nature, all of us are at enmity with God. When we were born, we were born depraved individuals. And the essence of our depravity is self-exalting, self-reliant, self-determination. Therefore, if you and I are going to have hope on the basis of God, we must be born again by the Holy Spirit. You can have optimism but it's not the same thing as hope. Non-believers can have wishful thinking, but they do not know the kind of hope that is worked up and worked through our lives by the presence of God in our lives. So today, let me just say this. If you're feeling utterly, utterly exhausted spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, 
If today, as you listen to me, you are on the verge of despair because nothing you can do will avail the awakening of hope in your heart, you are precisely in the best condition you could possibly be for God to do his most glorious work of bringing hope to you by the Spirit. God is not stingy on hope. Did you, did you read what it says? God wants us to overflow with it. Now, I know some folks believe that God just doles out things in teaspoons. It's like, yeah, God has doled out to me a teaspoon of hope, and he's basically said, that's it. That's all you get for the rest of your life. But that's not true. God wants us to overflow with hope. The phrase overflow with hope is literally this, to have an abundance of and it's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 9 after Jesus fed the 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. That doesn't mean that they don't count. It doesn't mean he didn't feed them. It's just in the Bible it says he fed 5,000 men, and there wasn't the accounting of all the others that were there. After Jesus had fed this multitude, these thousands of people, Luke records that the disciples picked up an overflow. There was an abundance so that there were 12 baskets left over, one basket for each disciple. What's the point? There is great abundance in the heart of God. The fullness of hope will never reach its limit in the life of the person who has the Spirit of God. It can always grow more and it can always abound more as long as you're finding your source of hope in God alone. Now, the second action is this. Fuel your hope with God's Word. Fuel your hope with God's Word. You find hope in God alone, but there are things that we can do to help strengthen that hope and fuel that hope. Again, let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. So let's talk about this for just a minute. The Scriptures are entirely applicable to today. We fuel our hope with God's Word because the Scriptures are entirely applicable for today. Now, if you're thinking about what I just said, maybe this is going on in your head. Merle, I'm willing to acknowledge that the Bible is a unique book. And I'm willing to acknowledge that it records God's principles and, and God's teaching and there are stories of miracles and there, there is instruction that was given. But there are certain places in the Bible that don't seem like they're applicable to me. And it's true that the situations are different. It's true that we're not living in first century Israel. It's true that we're not living in 600 years before the birth of Christ. It's true that we're not the church in Rome. And it's true that our situation is different from the original audiences, yet the scriptures are timeless in their relevancy to every generation in terms of the truth that they provide and the principles that they give and, the, and our understanding of who God is. So when Paul says that everything written in the past was written for our instruction, he's not saying that when Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, 
He intended it for the church in future ages so that we might be blessed by his writings. Nor did David write the Psalms so that we would profit from them. His point is this, God caused Moses and David and the prophets and the apostles He caused the human writers of the Bible to write as they did because he had in mind our edification, our encouragement, whether or not the human writers understood it or not. The Word of God is the primary way that we get to understand the truth about God and the ways of God, and it is is entirely applicable. And so when you're looking for hope, you go to a place where you can find timeless truth about hope. Paul put it like this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He said this, all scripture is inspired by God. In other words, it's God breathed. It has God as its ultimate author. It's inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God, all of us, may be complete and equipped for every, for every good work. So if you're looking for hope, don't look outside of the Scripture if you want hope that is relevant and timeless and lasting. Fuel your hope with God's Word. Understand that the Scriptures are entirely applicable today. And number two, the Scriptures will fill you with courage in the midst of chaos. It says that, This was written so that you may have hope through the encouragement of the Scripture. So let me just get real personal, real practical for a minute. In my own journey as a follower of of Jesus, when I find myself in a place of pain or a space of sorrow, when I have found myself in the dark cave of doubt or a deep hole of despair, I have to find my way to the Scriptures for hope. When I read stories of flawed people in the Bible like King David, who was a man after God's own heart, but he also had a heart of flesh, and he, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he probably raped Bathsheba. And yet God, in his mercy, forgives David and helps him make his way back from failure. That gives me hope. I'm going to read about the apostle Peter who told Jesus, listen, I'm I'm with you all the way. You know, everybody else can abandon you, but I'm not going to abandon you. And three times he denies Jesus in Jesus' greatest point of need. And I read how Jesus reinstates him and forgives him and how Jesus says, you are going to be a leader in the life of the church. When I see how through the grace of Jesus, Peter is able to climb back out of that hole of failure. It gives me hope, doesn't you? When I turn to the Psalms, the songbook of the people of God, I'm filled with hope when I read the raw honesty of the psalmist, the gut-wrenching prayers where he's wondering, where are you, God, in the midst of this? And he's talking about how his enemies are, are 
tearing him up and how he'd like God to tear up his enemies. When I read those gut-wrenching prayers and I see how those gut-wrenching prayers are met with God's understanding and met with God's promises of a preferable future, it gives me hope. Now, maybe some of you have been burdened in your life as a follower of Jesus because the only thing you've heard about reading the Bible is laced with guilt. Did you read your Bible today? Or how about this? Did you read your Bible today? You see the difference? It's not about guilt. It's about hope. I read the Bible to meet God. I read the Bible to experience hope, not because God's going to lash me if I don't. It isn't that the Spirit of God is doing this to me. Did you read your Bible today, you loser of a Christian? No, it's, there's hope there. I read it because I need strength for this day. I need something that tells me that something better is on its way. Fuel your hope with God's word, understanding that the scriptures will help us patiently wait for the unfolding of God's plan. The scriptures help us patiently wait for the unfolding of God's plan. We hope with endurance. We hope with endurance. The scriptures encourage us to keep on keeping on. That's what Paul's saying. They're telling us to hang in there. They're telling us, with God's help, you can make it. Just look at all of the illustrations of the patient perseverance of the saints of old. Remember Abraham and Sarah waiting decades for a promise of a child to come through. Look at them. They continued to be faithful over time. Let me just say this. I think this is worth writing down and considering hope is a slow, confident movement in the direction of God's promises. Hope is not quick. Hope is not a quick fix. You can't microwave hope. It is a slow, confident movement in the direction of God's promises. It's holding on with patient expectation that who God is can be trusted and what God has promised will be fulfilled. And it reminds me of a commercial. You'll get, you guys okay with a commercial? Now, this is an old commercial, so this demonstrates that I've got a little bit of tire tread on me in life. And so when you see this commercial, some of you are going to go, man, that is an old commercial and the quality is horrible. And others of you are going to go, this is so nostalgic and so meaningful. So when you think about hope, maybe this will help you consider about how hope is the slow movement in the direction of God's promises. Heinz ketchup. Think how good it's going to taste when it finally gets there. Tasting Heinz ketchup. It's slow good.
Hope is slow good. Hope anticipates. Now thank God it's something better than ketchup. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let me just say this. We're getting ready to draw this to a close. Waiting is the rule rather than the exception in the Christian life. Waiting is the rule, not the exception. Hope helps us wait. Hope helps us move in the direction of God's promises. And we are we're strengthened as we put our hope in God. Isaiah put it like this. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord, or some translations, they who hope in the Lord, waiting and hoping, synonymous. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hope lives on its tiptoes, awaiting God's plan for our lives to be fulfilled. I don't know what God's individual plan is for you. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is related to work or related to relationships or related to, related to health or related to uh, your finances. I, I have no idea what God's individual plan is for your life, but I do know what God's ultimate plan is in Christ. And that's what we really are on our tiptoes looking toward the future for it to become a reality. Paul put it like this in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Let me give you an in other words. In other words, God's readiness, God is ready to give and to forgive right now. It's, it's been made public. His readiness to forgive and to give. Salvation is available for everyone. To be made right with God is right here and right now through the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life and to lead us into a good life, a pure life, a righteous life, making us people that God can be proud of, people who are energetic to do what is good in this present age. We're being shown right now, how to turn our backs on godlessness, indulgence, and how to take on this God-filled, God-honoring life. And it starts right now, and it's whetting our appetite for what is to come. And what is to come, it's the blessed hope. It's the glorious return of Jesus Christ to the earth when he sets all things right. When everything that is wrong is going to be made 
right, when all that is untrue is going to be made true again when he establishes his kingdom forever and ever. We look forward to that. And the question on the table then is this, are you ready? Are you ready for the blessed hope? Are you ready to meet Christ? You can be. I want you to be. And we, we say it pretty simply around here. If you're willing to, first of all, admit that you are a sinner whose life is broken and you cannot fix it on your own, if you're willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the fixer, he is the healer, that he is the one avenue so that you can have a right relationship with God. If you admit, if you believe, and then if you just call on him, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I admit that I am far from God and I want to trust that you are the bridge between me and God and this day I am trusting you. If you're willing to do that, that's where you enter into a life of hope that will overflow in your life, that will be greater than despair, greater than depression, greater than the unknown. And our hope and our prayer is that you would take that step of faith and that you would allow us to know about that. So I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're ready to take that step of faith, you're with us online, simply go to pleasantvalley.info, fill out the card and let us know. If you're here in the worship center or if you're in the chapel and you're ready to take that step, meet the pastor in the front of the, of the building, in front of the chapel, in front of this worship center right now. And if you, if you need a prayer for hope, I'm just going to ask you to do this. If today you need hope in your life, I'm just going to ask you, if you'll stand and let me pray over you. If today is a day that you need some hope, you can stand in the chapel. If you're watching us at home, just stand. If today is a day that you go, Merle, I am in some need of, I'm in need of some hope. I just want you to stand. This is a safe place. And I just want to pray. Let me pray for you. God, you see our lives. You see every one of us. You know what has prompted all of us to stand and admit that we're in need of some hope. And my prayer, God, on this day is in, in ways that are absolutely personal and unique to every individual that you would come to them and that you would fill them to overflowing with hope. Remind them that you are a faithful God. You have a great track record, that your character can be trusted that they can call upon you and know that you will answer. And God, my prayer is that you would give all of us this confident expectation that will uh, enable us to wait until an answer comes. For the individuals who, who feel like on this day, everything is dark and there's no Light, I pray that the light of Jesus Christ will shine brightly in their life. I pray that they would be able to look at 
April 10th, 2022, as a catalytic day where hope broke in and hope broke through and hope helped them to move into your future with faith and with confidence. God, I pray that you will help all those that are standing not to give up and not to give in, but to keep on trusting and to keep on believing, knowing that you are a good God and you have a preferable future for them. Show yourself to be the great God that you are so that we can give you glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And if you're in agreement, would you say amen?